torture is not funny. <laughs> Torture's bad. Waiting for a break in the rain. Waiting for the moment to change your lane. I came home from the wasteland. Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl. Created out of nothing like a comic book girl. Hey! Hey everybody, welcome to the class discussion. Today we'll be going over a uh, text... 31 right that's the one yep and i'm skylar um for those of you who forgot i had to take another semester because i failed this class so <laughs> here no, i am did. here i am back at it again <laughs> oh, no. oh so I'm all so you had to do to, to pass the class was show up for one discussion how how in you fact, did. did you fail it <laughs> That's personal. We don't need to. We don't need that information. We're we're happy to see you here. Although, I I, I wish that the circumstances were better for you and your academic record. It, it's all uh, good, you know. I I'm I'm happy to be here with you guys. Who's this other voice we have with us? Uh, hey, it's Parker. She, her, and I'm fifty pounds of nerves in a ten pound bag. <laughs> Does your skin weigh ten pounds? Uh, my whole body weighs approximately ten pounds. I can fit into most oversized handbags. Ah, <laughs> uh, we could commit some great larceny. Oh my god, absolutely! Especially considering that I have the endurance of a gazelle with sweat pores because I can sweat because I'm a person. And I use big purses, so it's a match made in heaven. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Uh, yeah, you need a safe cracked. I'm your gal. Uh, except I don't know anything about cracking safes. So, hey, who are you? Uh, my name's. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> Skylar, we know who you are. <laughs> Sorry, never mind. <laughs> my name's. My name is Erso Rin, and I do want to be. A vampire I have discovered after watching a stupid movie about what vampires would be like if they were just normal people. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to become an awkward, weird vampire and excellent. who finds a solution where I don't have to kill people, but I do want to do it for the aesthetic. Yeah. Did you all ever take like an ancient history class and read Twilight? <laughs> I have never actually read Twilight. I've heard it referred to. Mm-hmm. I had a... Uh, I had a friend who who kind of majored in gothic literature mm. and ended up writing about the Twilight books, but I I, did, I have not read them myself. So yeah, surprisingly influential during that period of time. But I was thinking of that because of vegetarian vampires. It's a are is oh, Twilight yes. just about vampires? Yeah, and they're they're some of them are vegetarian and just drink animal blood. I think it's about baseball. Definitionally too. not vegetarian, but okay. Right, right. <laughs> vegetarian in vampire terms, though. Right. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> animals are not vegetables, but cool. No, go off, accurate. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'm really excited to talk about this book because I need someone to deal with my trauma <laughs> that I had reading this book as a child. Ugh. Oh God, this book. It was not an easy read. I have a synopsis if we want that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be helpful. Okie dokie. Here we go. Uh, here's my synopsis of volume 31, The Conspiracy. Jake learns of the death of Grandpa G, his mother's grandfather, and of an upcoming family trip to Grandpa G's remote lakeside cabin for long enough for Tom's Yurik to die of Condrona starvation. Unable to weasel his way out of this funerary event, Tom begins plotting, unaware of his younger brother's scrutiny. 
Jake meets up with Marco to update him, but they both realize that they've left Tom alone in the house with Jake's dad, and they return to find that Jake's dad has taken Tom to a sharing meeting, putting Jake's dad in immediate danger of yerk infestation. Jake and Marco consult Eric and determine the location of the meeting, and upon arrival, Marco takes charge and starts tripping car alarms, successfully disrupting the meeting. The Animorphs group up, and Jake gives them the update. Nobody's happy, as safeguarding Jake's dad is high risk and low gain. Axe, Tobias, and Jake surveil Jake's dad. I really wish they had named Jake's dad in this journal. Anything, any, any name. Doesn't have to be his real name, but anything. Axe, Tobias, and Jake surveil Jake's dad at work and confuse a crank in the parking garage for a controller. Returning home, Jake attempts to relieve Tobias and Axe, but Tobias sticks around, and together they foil a drive-by shooting by Chapman and an unknown. During this, Jake has to demorph on the roof, and Tom nearly sees it happen. When the Animorphs regroup once more, their collective patience for Jake's risk-taking snaps, and Marco steps in and calls for a vote. After a bold suggestion by Jake, our savior teens decide to switch to offense. They bust in and relocate him to a vacant property nearby. To keep up pretenses, Axe interrogates Chapman under threat of starvation, a task which he rankles against in his first genuine display of anger. The kidnapping mission wrapped up and Chapman left to escape, Jake leaves the trip to the cabin, seemingly unaccompanied by the squad. Jake and Tom share a tense exchange over Grandpa G's medals of honor and a pillaged Nazi dagger, and Jake awakens that night just in time to see Tom about to murder their father down by the docks. Ready to kill his brother to save his father, Jake morphs to Tiger, only for the murder attempt to be broken up by the other animorphs in aquatic forms. Tom is Hellevact with a broken leg, and Jake's dad is safe. Marco and Jake reconcile, and Marco admits that had things played out differently, Jake's friends would have been prepared to kill Tom to save Jake and his father. This one's a doozy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's rough. I gotta say it's rough. There was that moment where Jake, like, sneaks up his dad's leg as a cockroach and is, like, following him to work and, like, morphing and demorphing. And that that's almost like a sitcom, but everything else in this is, like, a, a sort of war story. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh. There has to be a few points of hope in order for this, like, to not just be the most traumatic reading experience ever. Oh, my God. Right? I mean, you know, all of these are, all of these accounts are gripping and they're all sort of, like, historically sort of relevant and important. Important. But the only bit that actually sort of made me chuckle in this was in chapter 11, where Axe gets really sort of miffed at Jake for, like, over his explanation of a highway ramp. Like, they're, they're doing surveillance. Axe says, I believe I can see your father, Prince Jake. Are you with him? Jake says, yeah. Axe says, you have completed two circuits of the open spiral and have ascended. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> and Jake's like, oh, yeah, it's a ramp. The cars use it to get to higher levels. Axe is like, yes, Prince Jake, it was not overly difficult for me to deduce the purpose of the open spiral structure. <laughs> like... <God. laughs> Just Axe being like, yeah, Jake, I know, it's a ramp. That's <laughs> that's the point. That's what I said. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the cockroach bit was funny to me, but it's only funny if you completely detach it from its context. Like, if you think about what's actually going on, you're like, this is freaking horrifying. Like, this yeah. guy has to, you know, like, morph and demorph in the bathroom as a cockroach. And what like, is he there for? Like, he has to be there to just be prepared to do anything to defend his father against, you know, he would demor demorph and then morph into some creature to defend his father bodily. That's, I mean... Presumably a literal, actual tiger right. in a hospital where his father works. It's not good. And, like, all of the rest of the Animorphs don't want to be there. They don't want to be involved in this because they don't gain anything from this. They just, like, I mean, obviously... 
One Fever controller is, like, good, but it hasn't been a big enough deal for them to activate before. Like, one person being a controller, like, is not really that huge in the sort of stakes that they're operating on. And that's the brutality of war. Yeah, this just throws into actuality everything that they've been saying for other people, what they've been, like, all those hard decisions that they've had to make for other people, they now mm. have to start making for each other. And yeah. that's, like, it just makes it feel so much more real when, and like, and harsh that they have to actually just walk up to the friend and say, hey, your dad has to experience, like, the unimaginable horror of being, like, a prison in his own body just because... Like, this is, like, a war effort, and they just have to continually keep putting everything on the line and, mm. like, all their baggage behind them for the sake of something that doesn't even feel winnable. Absolutely. I've, I don't know. Tom's been at stake. Like, Tom's life has been at stake for, like, five journals now. Like, I, I sort of, I, I, I opened this one, and I was like, oh, it's another thing where they have to go rescue Tom from something. I'm like, okay, yeah, they'll probably be all right. But, like, add one dad to the mix, and suddenly I'm like, ah! Like, my anxiety was up to ten before Chapter 5 was over. It was, like, it was rough. I mean, you know, I guess it is a slightly bigger deal than just anybody else being a controller, because having two controllers in his house, right. one of whom is, like, his legal guardian, like, really makes it hard for jake to do anything with any degree of security well it's just it's also difficult because the i don't, I don't know if you read the last journal skylark but um part of what happened was marco's mom has to go under the same and they mentioned this early in the book marco's mom has to go under the same ordeal essentially she's a controller already and marco is ready to do the hard thing even though it is like incredibly difficult. He's ready to sacrifice his mother for the safety of the team and mm. and Jake doesn't seem ready to do that. And so the fact that he's making sure that Marco did it and it was like ready to do that and then isn't ready to do it himself is definitely like it it drives a stake between the two of them. Especially with that sort of final interaction between the two of them. Because Jake directly asks him, like, what would you have done if, like, Tom and my dad hadn't just been out on the dock? And Marco's like, we would have probably done what we had to do and gone in and done something, you know? Like, ooh, there's a gulf here. Also, Erso, you make a good point in that, like, Marco's ready to do what needs to be done there. Because for a couple of journals now, I don't think it's been the whole series, but just for a couple of journals now... Marco has been consistently described as the pragmatic one, as the one who gets it done even when the going gets tough. And I think that that's just like, that's just a manifestation of the trauma that they've all undergone. Mm -hmm. Right, totally. And Marco's just been able to metabolize it thus far in a way that I guess we see Jake doing right now. Right. And metabolize it in a way that makes him look like pragmatic, but might just be like being like, cold and closed off yeah yes absolutely like detached from his own emotions in a way totally <clears throat> i think that they all have to um i think that they all have to in one way or another attach themselves to one of these identities that either hurts them or helps them get through the war in general because like when they went through the david Duchovny, they had to figure out a way that they could beat David without, like, without it being obvious that they needed to, like, defeat him. And the way that they figured that out was by Cassie telling Jake that it's not about strategy all the time, it's about, like, character. 
And mm-hmm. I think that they all started thinking about each other differently at that point. And Marco was oh. thought of as, like, we kind of talk about him as, like, the jokester and the funny one. But, like, when it gets really tough and stuff starts hitting the fan, he is the one that can make those really, really tough decisions most of the time, I would say. So would you say he's the second or third Animorph to sort of, like, come into a role? Because, like, Rachel is obviously, like, oh, she like she pretty quickly finds her sort of identity as, like, the bruiser and as, like, the, the muscle, right. you know, the cleaner situation. But also you could say that around that time, Cassie's role becomes the manipulator and the strategist. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and there's this whole thread in this book, too, about, like, Jake is the leader, but he doesn't want to be. Like, he wants someone else to just make decisions for him. Like, there's that whole passage that's really heartbreaking where he says, like, his ambition is to just have a, like, life like his dad's where he can just, like, you know, go to work and make people happy and, like, have a pretty simple, like, life. Yeah. um, Which was totally gut-wrenching. But, yeah, that's, like, a thread with him, too, of, like, even if he doesn't want to take that role he still internalized this idea that well i'm the leader you know mm-hmm. i think earlier on and i i still have a little bit of this in me like my gut reaction to that would be like of course jake just wants to like have a normal life that's like his highest ambition like because there because jake doesn't have like i don't know i i i've been hard on jake for being the most white bright and vanilla animal <laughs> thus far um but, like, you're totally right, Skylar, that, like, in this context, it's just heart-wrenching. It just right. makes me feel bad. Like, you're just like, that, you should have, you should be able to have that. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be a question. Like, it should be funny that that's your ambition because that should be the least that anybody can, like, expect of you, but it's not. Right, like, the absolute baseline. Yeah, right? Like, that, ugh. Oof. And Marco kind of wants it as well, though he's sort of interprets it differently and talks about it differently yeah he couches it in terms of capitalist success yeah but well i mean also he (laughs) like he's so obsessed with maintaining his persona of just being like the normal kid and like the funny guy and like because he you know his family life has fallen apart even before this so he's been trying to figure out a way to make that happen for himself for a long time Downer book, huh? <laughs> Downer book. <laughs> this one's not, yeah. Uh, in the sort of r- second major release of these documents, the sort of commercial release, they were intended for children. And I know that that's easy to think about because Ooh. the writing is kind of simple and the protagonists are children. But, like, <laughs> imagine looking at, like, the accounts for this one and just being like, how do we turn this into like a fun sort of easy to digest kids adventure? Right? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I feel like I, I would have nightmares reading this as a child. Yeah. Yeah. This is not one of the ones that I read when I was a kid. So. Here's the... I really wish Cassandra was here though. Rest her soul. She is getting foot surgery. She's not dead. <laughs> yeah, you don't soul. need to rest her soul. She's still alive. She's basically dead to me. If you're not if you're not in this class discussion, you might as well be dead. You missed two weeks of class discussion, you're dead to air so. It doesn't need to be that dramatic. <laughs> I would hope not for your sake. <laughs> but especially because this book is called The Conspiracy, I just feel like she'd be having a field day. Oh, oh she absolutely. would probably. 
I actually have a I have a a small note there re- regarding the the sort of conspiratorial nature. Actually, I guess I have two things. So like, okay, so the events of this book make sense in the context of like, hey, we're going to a literal cabin by the lake for four plus days. <laughs> Right. But this whole book really raises questions about the scope of the entire Yurk invasion. Like, as we saw in the last journal, there's a huge space battle. The Yurk Empire obviously has the capability to get anywhere on Earth. Why are they keeping their operations so localized in this tiny town? And by tiny town, I mean, like, relatively metropolitan area in what I assume is California. I was about to say, I don't think it's very tiny, in fact. Like, maybe where they all live is, but I think that they live close enough to an important facet of California economically but like why would they need to wait for the g8 or whatever to like invest a bunch of world leaders like they could go anywhere they could orbit the planet like why is it all just right because like if the, basically if the yurks were anywhere on earth there wouldn't be another group of animorphs to stop them and so they could probably get away with whatever they want i know the answer but i'm not telling okay oh, will that be revealed to us in later journals uh yeah, sort of. Got it. You, okay. hmm. This is why I I question, to a certain degree, why we aren't being made to read the book Visser, and I don't want to get into it anymore, but we get kind of a, a different perspective in that book, mm. and it's a larger scope of things, and some of this stuff that you might be like, hmm, I'm recognizing a pattern here. It all just, it yeah. all shakes itself out. Oh, okay. I won't spoil anything. Second thing, speaking of the extra books that we aren't reading, Jake says they were in World War II for a bit? <laughs> they went to alternate universe World War II or alternate timeline World War II? We skipped like two whole journals between volume 30 and volume 31. I'm beginning to think the discrepancies from last semester can be chalked up to the PDFs being labeled wrong and just the other sections of the class just read like the books that we That's read. another one that has really, it was never like f- released in those initial official documents to the public. So mm. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like it's definitely disputed among some historians. Got it. But it's made reference to in the others. There's like textual support for it having happened even though why no it's one of those ones that's hard to prove i was surprised the sario rip one was not included as like a yeah a sort of because it's like it's longer it's like you know these are what 200 pages that one's like 400 pages it's like novel length and just a little bit weirder and i don't know yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> a lot bit weirder. They chase a... They ch- oh my god, it's so crazy. Everyone dies. They meet, like, uh, Einstein or something. And Everyone oh, wow. dies? <laughs> or they, like, go to Einstein's school and... They're, wait, hold on, back up. I want to go back to the part where they're all killed. <laughs> they all die? <laughs> Jake gets uh, shot. Okay. In between this journal and the last journal? It was a... <laughs> It was a, a sort of journey through time in a extra special novel length. I I feel like if I died, I would I would write that in my journal a little more. Like a little I, more. I would be a little focused on that for a while. I think. I feel like man, I can't believe I died back there. <laughs> right, right. Well, they don't have memory of it. It was they got brought oh. back through like. Well, then how does a record of it exist? <laughs> Listen, if you uh, want to read the book, you can, and I would happily talk to you about it, but you didn't okay. do you didn't read the Hork Bashir Chronicles. So. Not yet. No, I've got other classes. I'm supposed to be a pre-med. <laughs> so these additional books, are they kind of like apocrypha? Like they're maybe disputed? 
pretty much. Got it. I just, I mean, also Jake's already been. Jake has been shot before. This is that would not have been the first time that Jake has been shot. So it would be the first time he's died. <laughs> it would be the first time that I'm aware of that. No, it would be the second time he's died because he died in the Amazon rainforest. Oh, true. Good point. Well, this is the first time he gets shot as a human being. He gets shot in the face. <laughs> no, he gets shot as a human being when he's uh, when he's in the yurt pool in the hospital. Oh my god, you're right. I hadn't. I forgot about that. Come on, foremost animorph scholar, get with it. <laughs> he gets shot in the head. Speaking of which, let's move on to the things that I actually did read this week. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. So, a, a big moment for me in this book was uh, for my boy. <laughs> Axe is made to have to torture someone. Uh, oh, okay. Way to kill the mood. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to get to. You guys are like, ha ha hee hee. I'm like, Axe is made to really torture a guy. Screen. Okay. <laughs> Axe is made to torture a guy, and he really it was scary. Like it. Get with okay, it. Okay, it was y'all. really scary. Torture is not funny. Torture is <laughs> bad. And it wasn't even, like, nec- I don't know, it wasn't necessary. They just go to such extremes in this book to save one dude, like. But a dude who's important for operational security, you could argue. Because then Jake is under an unrealistic amount of scrutiny to be able to function as an animorph under. What if his dad is like, oh, I'm going to install a bunch of security cameras outside the house? It would essentially, I mean, I, I understand your point, because I feel like it would essentially turn jake into like a prisoner of war if this was his situation like oh yeah he would have one yerk who um is in his house and then another who is in his house and also has like parental power and privilege over him and like can pretty much do whatever he wants in terms of jake Mm -hmm. within reason so that i i feel like while it obviously doesn't justify torture it like it is a genuine safety concern. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Erso, uh, the the uh, the bit where Axe confronts Jake about the torture is on the first page of chapter twenty, but the actual torture itself, I believe, is two chapters before then in chapter eighteen. Yeah, this is a this is a new side of Axe. That's a- it. Really is. This is what happens when you push someone to the brink. <laughs> it also seemed like he was experienced with this, which is also alarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Erso, in your version of this book, oh shoot, there's a bit in chapter 18 where it makes it pretty explicit that the Yurk that's controlling Chapman expects to be tortured now that he's sort of like held captive by Andalites. Like, um, I don't remember not that something... specifically, but... Right, it's not something that he's worried about, it is something he is expecting. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't see anything about that. I just... I'm more focused on how Axe responds about yeah. it. Okay, so that's chapter 20. I do want to talk about that as yeah. well, so go for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read directly from it. So Axe is describing exactly what he did to spook Ch- Chapman, and Jake is like, good, I said. No, Prince Jake, nothing about this is good, Axe snapped. This is not behavior suitable to a warrior. I will not do this again. Understood, Axe, I said. The human daughter of this controller has walked through the neighborhood crying for her father. I have heard her, as I have heard the terror of this controller. I will gladly fight this controller and, even in battle, in fair battle, kill him, but I am not a torturer. I'd never heard Axe this mad. Never even close. It's my fault, Axe. My responsibility. You only did what I asked you to do as your prince. This is on me. No, my actions are my actions and are my responsibility, he said, but his anger had softened a little. 
I am sorry to have expressed anger. Axeman, you were entitled. And then he calls... This is it's really scary later. Um, the next because of, then the next, the next yeah the next bit the of next dialogue page. that he has very, like right after right after Jake says that he's entitled, Axe says I must play out the charade. Like even though I've just told you that this is absolutely against my moral code, I now have to keep doing it. And that to me is like oof. And then on the following page, uh, one of five in the paper copy. <laughs> And he will return to his people as a hero, Axe said. This will become an oft-repeated, much-celebrated chapter in York history. My name will become legend, synonymous with ineptitude, a brutal fool of an Andalite. Yeah. Jake says, Axe, I wouldn't have asked you to do it if it wasn't so important. Axe looked at me, fierce hawk eyes glittering. Important to you, Jake, or to the war effort? I didn't answer him. He called him Jake. Just Jake. Oh, he did! Whoa. And also he called him out to like a serious degree, which I didn't realize that he dropped the prince there. Mm. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. Yeah, this is definitely a moment where we start to see Axe's true character and the sort of like lens through which the human members of the Animorphs sort of like see him kind of falls away for a bit or like sort of has to reframe itself to be like, oh yeah, Axe Axe is a real person and Axe is somebody who has values that have a sort of like a breaking point that he he can't cross right exactly like it's so easy to just i don't know play him off as like the alien or whatever but like Mm. i don't know with like regardless of andalite honor or things that they might disagree about (laughs) making someone fake torture someone else is like incredibly dark yeah absolutely no doubt Parker, based on what you know about me, what would I be? What piece of machinery would I be as a person? Oh my god, what? Uh, <laughs> you would be one of those things that's like a light bulb, except it's got four black squares on like a weather vane thing in the middle, and when you put it in the sun, they start to spin. Ooh, that's cool. I can't remember what those are called. <laughs> that's rad. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you do it for Skylar? I, I mean, I, Skylar, I've spoken to you like twice. Right. I don't know if I, I qualified or. I think you've only spoken to me once. In fact, I, I mean, you weren't here when I was last in class. That's true. Oh, <laughs> did you guys not get introduced <laughs> outside? <laughs> I mean, like I've I've like seen you on the forums, I guess. Right. But I guess that's not really enough to know a person, despite right. Cassandra's beef with Craig Green. Like, oh my god, just how much <laughs> that's escalating. Yeah. I mean, I've seen your posts, so I feel like I know you. <laughs> yeah. A thing a thing I was thinking about while uh, reading this, and this is, once again, a very heavy topic, but a thing that comes up a lot in this book is kind of this idea of the trolley problem. You know, like, is it better to save one significant person or, like, multiple like like everybody right like a large group of people who are strangers or whatever um sure and that that's kind of the uh central tension of this book right is like is it better to you know save tom or save jake's dad or is it better to you know save like the world and the animorphs and stuff and i just wanted to kind of um voice that and see what you all thought about it because i'm not really sure what i think about that but i think it's like an interesting question that comes up a lot in this a thing that is in next week's journal that isn't in this journal is that, like, we don't see the opportunities that the Animorphs lose in this journal for having to spend time dealing with Jake's dad. Like, we don't see the stuff that they have to put aside to deal with this problem. 
Mm-hmm. And so to me, the sort of hypothetical other that they could be focusing on or that it would be more sort of like cost and time effective for them to focus on isn't really present. And so it's hard to gauge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Jake, did, I mean, that's because I think that's in part because Jake doesn't do a lot of empathizing with people in this book because he's so terrified. <laughs> yeah, reasonable. Yeah. Like he knows that it's inconvenient for accent Tobias to sort of be there, but he's not really thinking about it. And he doesn't really like, I mean, they all have sort of previous engagements, but, and he asks them not to get involved, but that's part of him just being like his emerging sort of solitary sense of masculinity and less like oh these people like i don't know i mean i I also think it's i mean yes the solitary sense of masculinity but i also think there's like i mean like he's so traumatized that like when you're in that state i feel like it's just like panic 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 like you're not necessarily thinking like oh what's the larger impacts of this you know you're just like reacting to stuff yeah definitely it wouldn't be fair to think of it that way it wouldn't be fair to like be like, come now, Jake, think about what, you know, the reasonable thing to do. <laughs> right, like, exactly. <laughs> you can't do that to a traumatized 14-year-old. That's not like, fair. Right, <laughs> exactly. He's just, like, reacting in the moment and, like, just, like, essentially living minute by minute. As minute by minute becomes day by day. Right, true. Like, it just grinds on and on, and he's not left to... He's obviously not equipped to give himself a break. Like, he's not equipped to sort of take care of himself emotionally. Causes problems. Yeah, no vacation time for being an Animorph. (laughs) No vacation time for being an Animorph. The benefits (laughs) suck. Yeah, terrible job. (laughs) (laughs) No union. (laughs) No unions. Long hours, unpaid... Right, terrible. There's no revenue stream to speak of. Child labor. (laughs) Awful job. Zero out of ten. It's a hard knock life. Indeed. Absolutely. I guess one out of ten because you get to be a bird sometimes. Yeah, that is that is kind of cool. I will give it that. It would be cool to become a bird or like uh, a rhino or something. I mean, Jake does seem to like touch on how it's like really body horror when this happens but also i would like to know what it feels like to be a rhino but at one point uh in chapter 21 jake is like it was for him that i had endured that first horrifying morph and my reaction was like okay jake your first morph was homer your dog so you can calm down not even that bad you didn't have to morph like cockroach or anything for your first morph your first morph was a dog you were like chill out to be fair have and i don't make a joke about caffeine or your digestive system at all but have you ever like felt all of your organs squishing around and like disappearing and getting bigger or smaller i mean you said i couldn't make a joke about my digestive system so I don't <laughs> you really said i couldn't make a joke about my caffeine addiction <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i knew that was coming from both of you <laughs> i mean yes but i can't really elaborate <laughs> 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 there it is. Oh. I'm not allowing you to compare your weird bodily functions to people's trauma. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they're one and the same. Yep. Valid. You know Valid. what? Valid. I don't 
know, I just, I, I'm, I'm distracted here because one of my friends got the morphing technology. Oh. He's a first responder, and he had wait, some... really? That's that's crazy. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. He had some bad stuff happen to him on the job while he was like rescuing, oh. like saving somebody's life, and they determined that he was a suitable candidate. So, so like, I don't know. That's just like I'm thinking about that a lot. Like, for being like, I don't know, for being the person he is, he's very straight laced. Like, as soon as he sort of became a first responder, he was like, I've got to be like responsible and stuff. But I, I keep, I keep trying to goad him into like doing some fun more. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, please let us know how that goes. There's so many shenanigans. When they're morphing, like, a cool thing, like, when they're morphing not a bug, it seems like it could be fun. You can at least pretend you're a werewolf, you know? Yeah, like, I know that uh, at this point it's like, oh, you know, it's serious uh, technology that only, you know, like, people in very serious situations should have access to, etc., etc. But... Wouldn't you want to just try and become a wolf for a day? Right? Like, <laughs> like I, I'm sure the people who have access to that technology, you, you've got to be curious, you know? You've got to be curious. you gotta, you got to want to play around a little bit. Related back to the the, the book that we read. I, I think it's cool in Chapter 5. So, like, there are situations in a lot of Animorphs journals where, like, one Animorph will be doing their own thing and then, like, all of the other Animorphs kind of show up and they, like do a really cool, well-thought-out, executed plan that, like, we never see the planning for. They just kind of, like, have already planned the thing, and they do, like, this really, like... Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, absolutely. It's like, oh, man, they did a, like, like they did a really cool thing, and they did, like, a lot of really good planning, and it showed uh, they showed off, and they're the Animorphs and stuff. We get to see that happen on screen in Chapter 5, where Marco and Jake call Eric, and they deduce from, like, a, like a, a huge sort of zone what how big is the zone it's a six by six block area with 75 private homes in it yeah and they figure out like which exact building that they need to go to and it's really cool to actually see that happen yeah lucky for them that the yurks didn't just go to a private home yeah yeah okay <laughs> that was, was their first mistake it was really it was really just dumb luck that they happened to go to this mini mall so much of life is just dumb luck. <laughs> that's that's very true. Yeah. I feel like the terror that you might feel when like seeing that your dad is like, you know, you, you always think that maybe in the back of your head he might be infested, but like now you have confirmation now that it's like about to happen that it hasn't been happening in the past. I feel like that's kind of what it's like with the dripping, where it's like you're always kind of worried that you have it because you could be asymptomatic and yep. there's so many ways to get it. But mm-hmm. then it's that then when it once it's like, oh, like your doctor just like tells you that you have a cold or something because you've been coughing or you get a test and it says negative or just like you find out that like your symptoms are from elsewhere. That's like a moment like that where it's like you be- you came so close to death, but you missed it. Right, right. <sighs> I had I had a random thought based on this book, which there's this part at the end where uh, Tom is sent to the hospital because he, like, almost drowned or whatever. Very scary. But I had a thought, which is, do Yurks show up on MRI scans? I have thought about this as well. Oh, that's a great question. I would assume that a Yurk that's integrated with a brain kind of shows up as maybe, like, a slight sort of, like like, a slightly different color that could also, or not, like, a different color, but, like, a different shade that would probably be sort of chalked up to, like, inconsistency in the machine. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah, because I, I was wondering about that, because, like, 
obviously this is not a situation where Tom would need like a MRI brain scan, but like surely that's like come up where a controller has had to have an MRI brain scan. Right. I wonder if anyone's been like, whoa, what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> or you just have real thick meninges one way or the other. Right, exactly. That's originally actually what one of my questions was when I learned about the Yerks, because like I had taken just basic like basic high school <laughs> biology basic, basic high like, school zeta biology yeah well no just regular biology for the for the human brain up until that oh, point and then someone told me that yerks were a thing and i was like but how do they get past that like barrier between the brain and like the skull and like all those bits holding it together and everything and there's a lot of protective tissue up there mm-hmm. so maybe yeah. that maybe that's part of it they just don't show up because they have to stretch themselves really thin in the first place in order to fit over it so yeah they basically have to liquefy yeah. We, we need to have a xenobiologist on who can show us some images or something. I know. <laughs> Somebody who paid attention to xenobio, yeah, that would be good. Right. Uh, Our perspectives right. are so limited. Not just sketching not. on the notebook. I was just like, Hork-Bajir are rad, and then I was like, oh, I actually have to do math about this, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, science has never been my strong suit. I mean, most of my notes are just like, whoa, what the heck, this is so messed up. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> There's not it a sure lot. is, it's yeah. A traumatizing <laughs> one. It's more of a closed circuit story, I feel, than like one of the more far reaching ones. When I I remember as a kid when I read it, it was like the conspiracy, I was like, isn't the whole hasn't the whole series been a conspiracy about a conspiracy? <laughs> right. And also like another thing about it is it's kind of anticlimactic in a way. Like there's all this buildup of like Oh, like, are the Yerks gonna kill Jake's dad? Are the Animorphs gonna kill Tom? Like, what's gonna happen? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of ends like, well, none of that happened, in fact. (laughs) We just go on. (laughs) I know. They managed yet again to sort of just maintain the status quo. Status quo ante. Yeah. (laughs) I want to be a status quo ante. (laughs) I want to be anti-status quo. Exactly. Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah, it it sort of turns out that, like, Tom goes to the hospital and, like, Jake's dad is safe. But, like, is he? Right. Does anything change? Like, Tom has to go to the hospital, but, like, maybe they just, I mean, I guess the the sort of impetus for them, like, trying to invest and or kill him right away is over. But, like, he's not any less of a target now than he was before. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, indeed. Right, so it could it could continue on just as severely. Alrighty, next week we're reading volume thirty-two, the separation. It's got Rachel Warfing into a starfish on the cover. Woohoo! <laughs> I read ahead a little bit. Uh, this one is more fun than this one was. Got it. That's good. Would you say it's morph fun? Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh. <laughs> anyway, say... more fun more fun more trauma more more all around i don't want to spoil anything but oh my gosh you should read it because i want to talk about what happens with you looking forward with to me it. yeah yeah well maybe i'll come back oh my god it's so crazy maybe i'll come to more than one class discussion per semester <laughs> yeah maybe that would be good for you yeah, yeah. that would work you know, sometimes they say that on the syllabus, but you gotta read the fine print. You gotta read the fine print, because they'll get you with it. Yeah. <laughs> they'll get you with that syllabus. They'll get you with that fine print for sure. <laughs> Try to just skate by, and sometimes it's not possible. Okie dokie. Alright, well, it was good to hear both your voices this week. Yeah, although, great to hear I from you too. can't wait for Cassandra to come back. Yeah, stay safe right. to you both. Yes, stay safe.
Have a good one. Bye. Later. Bye. Bye. The Morph Report is on Patreon, and we now have our first patron. Thank you so much to Jay for your support, which will help us pay for our hosting fees on Pinecast and our transcription of all of our episodes. We have several tiers up on Patreon, and we are putting out content. Currently, we are putting out monthly curated recommendations of media for Animorphs fans, and we are working on getting out our first blooper reel. Check us out on Patreon to see these and more. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl, off the EP Field Notes from Another Place, and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Podmorphs, tweet at us or send us an email, and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. love the Animorph series? How about podcasts? Do you love podcasts? Well, then listen no further, dear listener, and allow me to introduce the Animorphs podcast directory. Here you'll find an ever-growing list of Animorphs-themed podcasts to sit your every Animorphin desire. Check it out. We'll see you there.